welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we look at movies we love. Break them apart. To find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my co-host and idea man. <laughs> love brokers. <laughs> Alex Dandino. Gross. That's going to sound way grosser and creepier until they know what we're talking about. But before that, a little business. Guys, it's official. Your friends here at the Film Alchemist are on Patreon.com. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist pod for as little as a dollar a month. And we assure you, every single dollar helps and is appreciated. You can join our community, meet our awesome friends over there, see what we're working on building over there together. And as you climb, if you can, the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can actually select the specific movies you would like to hear us discuss in a Patreon-exclusive library. It's the best way to make this show exactly what you guys want and deserve. We appreciate so much the help that you guys give us and the support that you show us. Uh, it really means the world to us. We know dollars are hard earned, so we're working hard too to try to earn those uh, over on patreon.com slash film alchemist podcast podcast. Uh, so for those of you who support us, thank you for those of you who are about to thank you as well. Go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, film alchemist, see these lovely mugs. See if you want to <laughs> buy that on the old, the old hotline, the old hotline of the seventies times square. <laughs> Just call our pimps first. Also, the email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials you're on. Thank you. Uh, reach out to us. Get a hold of us. Five-star rating reviews. All the stuff. That's enough business. I'm so excited to get to my cinematic gift. All right. I love giving presents. Uh, tonight, I am giving you one of my all-time favorite movies, actually. This is like a, a staple in the Dandino house. And I'm a little sad that you didn't just decide that we were going to talk about like four Frasier episodes, but that's fine. I mean, that is for the toss salad and scrambled podcast that we will be starting later in life. <laughs> Once the film alchemist just takes off and we're just like rolling deep, then we, we just become the preeminent experts in Frasier bottle. Then we can start our <laughs> Frasier pod and that'll be like true. No, tonight I am uh <laughs> I am giving you my one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, 1982's Night Shift, with uh, one Michael Keaton. Probably, I think this is a breakout role, actually. Um, and then uh, 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 Henry Winkler. Uh, recent the Fonz. The, the Fonz. This uh, is, uh, I believe, the second movie that Ron Howard directed. Uh, wow, yeah. But it is about... Uh, it's about these lovely individuals who just are trying to help people out and they're trying to provide pensions, dental pensions, dental <laughs> so, to make our jokes at the start of the episode. For those of you who didn't turn it off and think we're creeps, this movie is about two uh, morgue workers who work the night shift at a morgue in New York city. They come to the rescue of this poor group of prostitutes whose pimp has been slam dunk space jam style into an early grave. And they need help. Uh, but they're not pimps. They're love brokers. The love brokers. And <laughs> comedy and hilarity and romance ensue. I will be honest. I'd never seen this movie before. Really? 
Yeah, I'd never even heard of it, if I'm being honest. Wow. Uh, my my mom and I share a movie that we love, uh, Dream Team. That was our Michael Keaton funny guy movie. Yep. We watch Dream Team all the time. Wonderful ensemble comedy. Uh, love Dream Team. So I love early Michael Keaton. I love seeing comedy Michael Keaton. He's so fucking funny yeah. in this movie. But yeah, I'd never seen this movie, and I thought... It was fucking wonderful. It's, it's, it's just a wonderfully kind of rise script. It's very fucking funny. Uh, it has kind of that like black heart comedy that I love, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just very cynical and mean at times, uh, but very funny. But honestly, there's a lot of emotional support in this film that I was not expecting. It really works on a lot of levels. So why, uh, Alex, is this a favorite of yours and you thought needed to be a Christmas gift this year? You know, I uh, this is a movie that my dad introduced to me very early on because I, you know, I love Batman. I was, you know, I was like oh, Michael Keaton, and he's like, "Oh, you want to see Michael Keaton?" And we watched <laughs> Night Shift, and I was like, "Huh?" And like, I had only seen Mister. Did Mom. you just, hey, young baby Alex? Uh, did you think Batman was cool? Yeah, Dad. It wasn't necessarily. Did you just wish a baby. had more boobs and butts? I did, Dad. If I'm being honest, <laughs> come over here on Pappy Dandini's leg. <laughs> <laughs> it is a movie that uh it's a movie it's a very it's a highly quotable movie it's something yes. that we quote in my family pretty routinely in any sort of family interaction but um to me what makes night shift special is all these performances work together it's all against type like henry winkler was still doing happy days when this movie was being made so like he was the fucking Fonz, man. The coolest guy He was guy fucking in the room. Billy Blaze. He was the Fonz. He was the coolest guy. And in this one, he plays essentially Ron Howard. <laughs> yeah. He's. I think we can debate later if Billy Blaze is actually that cool of a guy. I think we've all had Billy Blaze's Oh, no. In our he's lives. an utter catastrophe of a person, but he's very yeah, entertaining. Maybe to been watch. Billy Blaze at times, but. <laughs> No, no, no. You need cool. a little of that little of the spice, right? You need a little of the spice. It, but it's just it's a movie that, yeah, has a surprising amount of heart for being like what you would think would just be sort of like a weird sort of just out there comedy. It has a lot of heart. There's a yeah. lot of little like beats that work really well. It's very nice. Yeah. I mean, just from the opening scene, though, you can tell this is a movie and a director, a young director, Ron Howard. Right. You can tell that yep. he's got a real grasp on how to make a flick, right? The the pimp running away from uh, his pursuers, right? And then the scene, I was like, this is a fucking insanely cool opening. When they throw him out of the window, mm-hmm. right? And you see the shot under the hoop. He's coming down towards the hoop. The guy's going up to dunk. And as he dunks, the fucking pimp goes through the hoop, crashes to his death. And the guy goes, you owe me a dollar. And it just lets you know exactly like this is yeah. a movie that they can give you the extras, but they know that it's going to be fun. Yeah. Right. They got the comedy down. I thought it was a stunning opening. I loved it. Yeah, it's a great opening. Uh, the music's what well, I mean, the and it cuts right into the credits. The music's great. Again, it, it's got this just it's a perfect like early 80s vibes like that's the thing i love it just reminds me of a less like henry winkler i think is the one you got to give a lot of the credit to man he's he plays just one you know what he reminds me of one of the all-time great like straight man parts in a movie right and i feel like i never saw him do this role enough no 
Because then he had his resurgence with like Arrested Development, where he's like these cartoon characters, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, I don't know if it was even that. I know he's in Parks and Rec, whatever. I don't watch a lot of TV, but he plays such a good, just like shit upon every man. He struck me as this like not pretentious and douchey Woody Allen type. No, not at all. He's very much this put upon. He's a put upon person. He's a put upon character that can't stand up for himself like kind of refuses i mean he's to. the fucking loser that other losers would be like come on dude come on like in, and it's like in every aspect of his life because like henry winkler's character in this movie literally he's engaged to this woman who is obsessed with losing weight even though she's already thin and makes him feel bad about her lo like it's a very strange like again she's just it's woman's a basket case that he's engaged to but he's like there's that scene where she's on the weird the, i remember my mom had one of those bikes that like oh dude but i don't know if you remember like moms in the 80s were going through yeah there was like it was i rough. remember when like the slim fast started being in the cabinet all the weight time watchers, the, the whole weight shebang. watchers came in and there was like you know a pre-meal like i feel like mom in the 80s and they were doing like the thigh master things mm -hmm. and those fucking uh tony soprano suits like yep. the moms in the 80s were struggling i might have been the first time they're like really having these like crisis of bodies yeah because i don't know when the fitness industry like became a massive thing that's probably I mean, but i felt bad 80s, for them but that's like yeah so he's in his life he's with this woman who just crushes him under her boot heel like to the point where he like but he has no she just has no interest in his well-being it's interesting she has interest in being with this person that's it like it's not even love it's just like transactional and then he goes to work and you find it's a very 80s problem, right? Is it? Oh, I've got a lady who, you know, has some emotional baggage and she won't have sex with me. Enough. Yeah, she won't have sex. <laughs> it was one of those. You're like, this is one of those like very dated things that happens in the movie a couple times. <laughs> well, I mean, like she like when she when she makes him like not look at her when she, when she runs into bed. He's like, are the lights out, Chuck? Yeah, the lights <laughs> know, are out. Are the lights out, goes, Chuck? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you run into bed, baby? Why don't you run into bed and lose some pounds calories. along the way? <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. His timing is so fucking it's like, whip sharp I mean, in this. for being a guy who yeah. spent his entire early career as this like cool guy character, he's like flipped that timing on its head, and the straight man bits are so funny, and they shouldn't be. Like yeah. that's like the really like that's the real charm of this movie is like. His straight man bit timing is so clever and it's so good because like the counterbalance is Michael Keaton who comes in and he's just like Michael. Ke it's Michael Keaton early 80s. So he's like just out of the clubs. He's maybe I think actually I was I was actually listening to Ron Howard on the Dak Shepard podcast. and He was talking about Michael Keaton coming in and auditioning the people who are running the studio like you cannot put this guy in this movie. Like, why not? He's like, he's all over the place. He has no idea. Like, how are you going to shoot him? He's like, he's an actor. I'll figure it out. Like, just let me shoot this with this guy. Like, he'll be fine. Like, but Michael Keaton was like on fire at that time. And yeah. so for him to be this like chaos character that essentially like it feels very like Bill Murray improvisation a lot of the time, their two hand is seamless. It's incredible. Yeah, he kind of has like more of like the street tough Robin Williams thing going in this movie. Very much. Because his his scene when he busts in is I mean, he just kicks the fucking door in. Literally. And is just on fire. Yeah. It feels like he doesn't stop talking for like five minutes. I don't think he does. And it's just 
funny. But not only that, like in his chaos, though, he's building this really fun groundwork for who this guy is, mm-hmm. right? The the idea man, the eternal optimist, the you know, and he's like, oh, this place has coffee, and oh, this coffee, is great, this, right? gonna be, this is gonna be radical, man. Yeah, and he's just, oh, it's just me and you. Oh, great. He's like loving life, and then all of a sudden he opens the drawer and he just goes, is that a stiff? it's a wonderful opening he's like scene. i mean it literally is like a mile and he's like oh so we keep the stiffs huh okay well, can i see one can i take a peek and then he looks yeah. <laughs> and then it's literally like the perfect that guy's dead perfect beat yeah it gobsmacks him he's like what <laughs> but yeah it's because it, there is this i feel like it's the two guys that you never want to be right whereas billy is kind of this like leech burn everything down like we've all had that friend and again maybe not to our uh proud memories uh have been this guy at times where it's just everyone's like yeah that guy's pretty fun on like a friday but like when you get a call from that guy on tuesday and you're like oh fuck like only ill comes from this right you're like pretend you're not like don't take the call i can tell you it's gonna happen i can tell you almost (laughs) always i have been but I have always been Chuck Lumley in my life. <laughs> I have, you have a I, you have a specific. I have Chuck never Lumley. been a Billy Blaze. I'm. A... <laughs> I feel like I've been a Billy Blaze, but never like as cool as Michael Keaton. You've been on a roll before. I've been around you and been blazing it I've up. I've been on a roll before, but not like Michael. We've Keaton we've had a quite a few night shift nights where you've really been billy blazing it up it's been good <laughs> i feel like guys though they they drift to those extremes though right you either want to be so. billy plays or guys feel like they're stuck as chuck right yeah and really we should all want to be way in between these two absolutely uh but yeah i mean honestly i think the fire and ice dynamic of this works really well and i'll tell you something else i didn't expect it right because for a movie that I think is really unfair to the fiance and her eating and exercising, she wants to get into a wedding dress. I got married. I saw my wife go through that. And my wife's very slender already. Right. Uh, but they're just kind of unfair. Like, oh, she just doesn't want to fuck him on his one day off. What if, <laughs> well, what if she's got shit going on, man? Leave her alone. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a little unfair. I think it's actually pretty progressive on sex workers. Like, I Very like the way so. that this is not a movie that's just taking cheap shots not at, at women for being sex workers. And they don't become – this is the thing I loved about the movie. Because when you read the premise, and essentially, right, Billy's running all these side schemes, right? When he's driving Clint Howard around, I was fucking dying laughing, oh right? He puts the Billy Blaze sticker on the light. And the hat. He's like, it's a limo. Hat, and he, the hat and, over the light. <laughs> Yeah, Henry Winkler's like it's a. He's like it's a limo. It's the same thing for corpses. What if we get a call? That's a bit. What if we get a call while you're out? They're not gonna. They're gonna go walk away. Yeah, they'll (laughs) still be dead when I get there. It's fine, but it's just so fucking funny, right? And then all of a sudden he gets this bright idea, right? He meets his neighbor uh, who's a prostitute. She came down for some reason. The prostitute had to come ID her pimp. This is how they meet. She's his neighbor, right? Because when they're trying to have sex and there's loud country music, he gets, you know, harangued by this fucking giant cowboy, right? Tex or whatever. Just fucking whatever. Long story short, they come up with the idea they should be the new pimps for yes. these this army of girls, right? This group of prostitutes. Now, I feel like 98% of all movies that were made in this era with this premise 
you would see two white guys walking around in colorful suits. Yeah. Hats with fucking giant the feathers bit, in them. The bit is very Talking much... like they were African-American exactly. dudes, right? Ev- this movie doesn't do that. And I, I was shocked, and it's way better. This movie does a very good job of leaning out of the, like, yeah, like, you would fully expect someone to walk around dressed like the Mac after you're starting to, like, make some There's money. a small scene where you're, like, during the montage, you're like, oh, Billy's getting into it. Yeah. But then, like, when you but cut he, back to the movie, he's not overdoing. But he's never, yeah, he's never wearing, like, giant fur coats or anything. Like, he's literally just dressed like an asshole from the 80s. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> like, I think the worst one is, like, he's out, like, trying to, like, bark, carnival barker in, like, a silver lame suit. And, like, it looks really bad. But, like, that's the bit. <laughs> the bit is that Billy doesn't know how to dress himself. It, it's perfectly explained the scene where we we're talking about for the pod. The scene where Chuck comes to Bill's ha- apartment to like agree to do the prostitution stuff, and Bill will comes to his door. He has a like really like shitty roaming. Oh, Chuck, how'd you get in here? It's uh, yeah, I got to talk to that super cheese. Like it's like a yeah, whole. This is a secure building. What? Like oh, there's a whole <laughs> bit, but like that he has his fucking sticker on the door, like Blaze Enterprise. Blaze Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, like he's a perfect huckster. But I do love. There is no lean in. Like actually. The only lean you see is very like kind of earnest actually is um the the Christmas party when they're both getting like when they're getting presents from the girls and Chuck's like I love presents and he makes a joke he he opens his box he goes ladies this is the one thing I've wanted this year and it's this like yeah. fur hat but that's as far as it goes it's as far it's as it ever goes It's a self-aware nod that they know the kind of movie you thought you were going to watch. Yes. And that Christmas scene we'll get to, that's such a fucking powerful scene. But the idea that this guy is doing this as one, we can all make a shitload of money. You guys, instead of paying 80, 90%, will pay 10. Right? So he wrangles these girls. Yeah, after Billy does the like breakdown of let's break down the word prostitution. By the way, that might be one of the, the that might be one of the great unsung like <laughs> monologues breaking down the word prostitution. Pros literally really at the end, it's just tit. That's all that's left. Pros, I don't really know. Just what that creeping means. it up. He wins <laughs> them back though, right? So great. But it comes from this place of one, they can all make money, and two, because he's in love. He's in love with the prostitute, and it doesn't bother him that she's a prostitute. So there, there's a nice earnestness there, right? And we see the prostitutes buying nice stuff. We see the prostitutes owning a hamburger place. And when they throw that party for them, it is shockingly heartwarming, right? That they're just like, thank you, right? Instead of having, like, we hear at one point there's busted arms. The movie starts, we just see a guy fucking knock the prostitute out in an elevator mm-hmm. and just walk away. Yeah. So the movie is not coy about the dangers and violence that would have been present, right? And what it becomes is this group of girls. Exactly. And uh, the guys, they form this nice little fucking bond where everyone that we come to cherish in the movie is actually happy for a little bit. Like every time, I love how the way that the movie, every time the real world actually does creep in, it gets punctuated by a joke. Like, like, Chuck comes back to his apartment and finds uh, Belinda. She's been beaten and he's trying to help her in the elevator and the elevator door opens and it's actually a very young Shannon Doherty. Might've been her first movie. Uh, 
Was it really? Shannon Doherty, yeah. Wow. As a Girl Scout who uh, blows a basically blows a rape whistle on him and all these bluebells yeah, thinks he's a mugger. beat the shit out of him. But I was like, that's a great beat. But it's also, again, like it's one of those things just like that kind of shit actually probably happens a lot. And it's not. But, but not only that, it happens to Chuck. Chuck yeah. might be the ultimate stepped on my shoes are two sizes too small character I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> yes. And what I think is the amazing uh, needle that they threaded is that there's still a small hint of kind of there's a twinkle in Chuck's eye. Even as he is just there's a fucking like mystery dog. People are roughing him up. You know, you got a fucking shitty job. Uh, can't get laid. Like, whatever, right? Everything is not good for this guy. And there's a wonderful scene where he stops Thanksgiving dinner with his overly religious uh, soon-to-be in-laws. And they all go down to the night court yeah. to bring uh, Belinda her ID and shit. Mm-hmm. Right? And they see the buttocks that she's bitten. Blah, blah, blah. And the whole family's just, you gotta keep him on a leash like I did his dad. Ah. They're just shit-talking. Everybody. Shit talking the mother, too, talk. man. And we're just pushing on him he tries to say something they're all pretty much like hey shut the fuck up you don't get a say in your own life we push in on him and that's a really nice visual reminder of he found that one thing yeah and he's ready to start building again i thought that was really cool and again this movie is much more competently put together than i think you would imagine from the two guys become pimps night shift right like you can imagine the other versions of this movie uh, I just think they always feel like they're making the right choice. Yeah. It is a movie that for being in 1982, which is like, you're just hitting like the mate. I mean, you're in the middle of like Eddie Murphy and all these like major people that are like making incredible R rated comedies and everything. This movie just does such a good job of not of subverting all the expectations and like everything that you expect and like the I would call them like the groanable jokes. Like the one you know it's gonna come up. Oh, here it comes. It's not that joke. It's not the gag. Like none of it is. The whole movie is very charming and has all these great all these wonderful just like all these wonderful setups. Like all these great moments to just let these actors do incredible work. Like, particularly you know, Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton are just constantly left alone to their own devices in these scenes. And they're just working like it's incredible. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what I think is so wonderful. Right. It's like there's the scene where he should have to smack someone around. because He's a pimp. Nope. He has fake muscles instead. Right. He does yeah. his fake muscles, whatever. Right. There's just really cool shit like that. But like the scenes when, you know, Winkler grabs his thing and he goes, remind you to shut the fuck up. Blah. And Michael Keaton's just locked in a morgue drawer playing it back and forth. And I was like, this is very written, you know, in that kind of like early screenwriter phase, right? Like make it cinematic and quirky and whatever. But the Michael Keaton plays it so wonderfully. He does look hurt and sad. You know, I thought we were friends. And they they find that nice bonding moment. And they just they build on that constantly. They even though they could not be more opposites, yeah. right? They're always finding those little moments to kind of build with each other, right? And I, I, I just thought it, 
it played really well and it culminates that christmas scene to me is the scene of the movie right it's it's incredible man because that's the michael keaton like oh shit this guy might be yeah, like though that's the, the that's the range man because michael keaton spends the entire movie up here and he delivers the he delivers this thing that's just like the story about him and his mom that are just you're just like, yeah. How can you be up here the entire time and then just reduce the entire audience to tears in this moment? Like it's I mean, yeah. The one that I mean, and the thing that kills me every time is like he gets done to giving this, doing this bit and talking about how his father treated him, his mother. He grabs his tape recorder and says, "Call mom, wish her merry Christmas." God damn it, man. Again, you're just Dude. like. Well, he it, talks about how his dad was like going at him when he was like even four. Yeah. And he got the line. He said, my mom was beautiful, but living with an abusive person or a crazy person just takes a toll on you or something. Just a fucking devastating line. Because you match that moment, right? That quiet moment of the three of them. And then Chuck, you know, what did you spend money on? I bought something. What'd you buy? He went out and bought his dad a headstone, right? Yep. used to have the smallest headstone. Now he's got the biggest one, right? Uh, and we hear the way his mom talked about his dad, this and that. Maybe his dad was like Chuck and just kind of a guy who always got stepped on and looked over. Not anymore. Now he's got this big fucking stone that his son bought for him. Just really fucking emotionally poignant moment, right? And that's like right on the tails of him throwing a fucking kager in the morgue with the Clint Howard's frat. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's they really do pull off both movies. They do right that there is this kind of like little rom like romantic drama new york story wrapped in this big like we can sell a fucking you know prostitutes in a morgue with a frat party right. movie and i mean so the <laughs> bit also is that chuck is chuck had to take the night shift at the morgue job because he was a basically he was a stockbroker Nep nepotism and yeah. had a oh well, yeah stockbroker too he was a stockbroker and had a like had a meltdown and he like literally couldn't get up from his desk at one point, so he took a less stressful job. And like the the like the cell after like after Michael Keaton does his prostitution beat, the cell is that hey, if you I'll take we'll take almost no cut, but I'll take whatever cut I make and we'll invest it and we'll make more money and all this kind of stuff. He's like I'm really good at this. I like that scene where he brings them all into uh, the fast food restaurant. And he's like, hey, we all own this now. Like, that's the kind of stuff. And again, like, you're like, in what other movie were you ever going to see this beat? Like, what, what, like, that's the bit is that these guys are, these guys are objectively terrible pimps because they give away all their money, but like, they're wonderful right. people to be pimps for, to be pimps. But that scene, I mean, they're making the money too, but like, that scene is great because in another movie, that'd be a, you would see them counting giant wads of money and smacking asses as the girls were walking past them. Right. And they just, cause that's the thing. These guys are really lovable. Like they just found this chemistry and Belinda is just charismatic and adorable. You just want them all to work out and be happy. Yeah. And in a tale that starts with a guy getting fucking space jammed to his death, right? Like thrown down in a chair, like a cartoon by the dirty cops too. Like a whole, there's a whole other, like, are those cops? Those are cops. What? Yes. There's like a whole. Oh, I thought they were just like other rival pimps. Oh, no, I think they're cops. I think they're supposed to be cops. Like there's a whole other. Uh, there's. An... But that's what I mean, right? So that's the that's the world we're inherit. Like 
existing in to start the film. And we see Belinda get punched, and it's just this kind of a brutally cynical movie. It's hard to watch how shitty things are for Chuck for a while. Yeah. And she comes in and cooks him eggs in like her her outfit. It has like this weird tone to it. Like, wow, some she's like desperate right now. Something bad is happening. But in that moment when he wins them all back and we start seeing the prostitutes get wins and vicariously Chuck get wins. And Chuck has now asserted himself. He's back at his little old fucking timey computer doing spreadsheets again, right? He's using his gifts. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, man. And I, I liked it a lot. You knew what was coming. The most cliche thing in the movie, you know what's coming, right? Yeah. Is him and Belinda are going to uh, come find each other, right? And they do. They had this great moment, right? They even talk about Clute. Like, this movie references several other great movies, which is always something I love. Yeah. Um, And you think they're good. And this is one of the hard scenes, right? They go back to the office. Uh, and Chuck was like, why are, you, why are you working? I thought we were cool. She's like, well, I got to make a living. And he fucking loses it because she still is going to lead her life. And he thought he had, like, saved her from prostituting. Right. She's like, hey, man, prostitution's my job. Like, we hooked up. I, it's okay. I love you still. It's good. Or she doesn't say I love you, right? But she's like, we're good. Like, this is just my job. I got to take this client. And he loses it, man. And he fucking calls her a whore. It's. And it, it was so sad. It is. It was so fucking sad. And then she calls him a pimp. Yep. And it hurt, man. And, dude, Michael Keaton again, though, with the moment when he takes her over and he goes, he's a weird guy, man. He probably thought you guys were, like, in love. And she just goes, so did I, man. It's. Gut-wrencher. Yeah. And, again, like, it's such a well, it's such a well-paced movie. Like, particularly for that kind of stuff. Like, it's so, like, this is, like, the kind of, like, this is the kind of drama that gets punctuated by a joke that doesn't bother me. Like, this is the kind of thing that doesn't, it's not an obtrusive thing. It feels in the spirit of the moment in the movie itself. It's just, it's just really well done. But, you know, you get through all that. And then I, I, the, uh, the, the, the climax at the fucking Copacabana thing is just, it's. Well, how about the fact that Chuck is about one minute away from just being fucking murdered well there's that too <laughs> that was intense man there's Cause they're yeah. like putting a fire hose in his mouth and like let's poke holes for the water to come out it's like oh my god we're back in gritty ass 70s new york What's yeah there's happening? there's some there's again like there's the real world that keeps like creeping in and you always have a bit and i, I think you know and it comes with like Richard Belzer being one of the cops that helps because <laughs> it's Richard Belzer. Yeah. yeah. But, but okay. Riddle me this though. What was going on? What did you think when uh, they went to jail? Right. So they're in jail. They're busted for pimping. Chuck fucking loses it. Right. He's done with his uh, fiance now. Cause he's out there fucking pimping. Right. You know, and you get the Chuck and Billy Moore, right? Billy's like, yeah, hey, man, you don't hit any home runs. If you don't, fucking step up to the plate and he's like man we were really going there for a while he curses billy curses him at that lawyer's office because billy's like let's make a deal that was <laughs> sad man i hated that it is it's only again like there's because you actually love these dudes because like, you not love like these guys i thought they the were end. funny i loved them 
Like I wanted them to be okay. Because you love the you want them to be friends at the end of this because you know that you know that Billy means well and he's always gonna be this idea man guy who just kinda fucked up. And like I'm showing up ready for tennis. You know, it's just <laughs> He's like, Well, I already missed one lesson, you know, when we were in jail. <laughs> I love that part too when Winkler's like threatening him and he's like, Tonight you'll play tennis with God <laughs> It's, what a line. But, yeah, I'm like. <laughs> but what what was going through your mind watching him regress back, right? Where Chuck is just, like, excited to go back to being Chuck. I mean. Not excited. That's the wrong word. He has resigned to going he, back to being Chuck. I mean, it's one of those. Look, as someone who's been Chuck through a lot of their life, I can tell you, like, yeah, like, <laughs> you it, 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 you feel it in your bones because how many of us have, like, realized, like, oh, man, like. Not not many of us have run prostitution rings, but some of us have been on a ride. Yet, yet. This some whole of, film alchemist thing is building. But some of us have been on a nice ride, like we were doing something we really loved, and we have to resign to the fact that nothing gold can stay and nothing lasts forever. And like to me, that is like the ultimate that's the ult like that like Chuck's resignation to that life is this like ultimate at least as it begins, it's this ultimate, you know, like <sighs> sigh. It's like this just giant, like, I guess this is just who I am. Like, I just have to be this person. Like I have no choice. And I think that's the thing is like characters like that. And I love those characters. I relate to them. And just, I love the way they're written. A lot of the time is characters who have choices, but don't see them. You know, that like they know they can have, they know they can have what they want. And instead, they sort of yeah. just resign themselves to this fate because not because it's easy, but because it decomplicates something that, you know, a lot of the times movies like this are about life being complicated. And I think when characters seek out to avoid complications in their in their stories, that is where that's where like comedy. But that's also where the pathos comes from when you get to see them as we see it, you know, when Chuck goes back to his old life, this humdrum, horrible kind of like decrepit existence he had when he yeah. sees, when he well, finally sees the real movies, injustice. right? Yeah. All these movies are wish fulfillment, right? Like, especially, I think a lot of these kind of like 80 sex comedies, which I don't know that I would lump this in as a sex comedy, right? It has some of the trappings of it, but they don't play the same. Right. But these movies are male wish fulfillment, right? is that me and my shithead friend can run a ring with all these beautiful women that are prostitutes, but they're really in love with us. And, you know, it has all of those hallmarks. The difference is, is that this one doesn't feel cheap in how it earns it, right? Like, this is a classic, like, everyone who has a fucking saves the cat. Dark night of soul. All right, we get it. You know, Chuck is chucking. The problem is, is that Chuck has become this guy who doesn't believe he's worth fulfilling a wish right that's a he good way to put belinda it. in the hallway and he won't fucking he won't be mean to her but he won't fucking say anything he won't say it he won't take a shot right and it's fucking hard man it's hard because this is a movie that's supposed to give us what we want and they do but i felt really sucked in a little deeper at this in that moment when he lets belinda walk and she said she's moving killed me dude yeah 
But then you get you do get your like Rudy moment, right? Where he tells the guy like, "I'll never eat a fucking sandwich again that I didn't order." Go clean my door, right? When the you know fucking creep just rubs the sandwich right on his fucking Love door, that. and then he points at points the fucking at the devil dog. Ew. That was baller. But see, but, that's what it is, man. Yeah, I felt bad. I mean, I it, it's funny because. It is playing along the lines again of an 80s sex comedy, and I would not refer it as that. No. Because the sex is not the four. Anywho, but yeah, again, and then he goes and he rescues Belinda, and it's fucking. That scene is great. When fucking Keaton swings in as the towel boy, <laughs> I lost my shit. Because at one point they just go, Where's the towel boy? Towel boy. And you know that it's Keaton, right? Yeah. I did not expect the like 1930 silent era swinging in the Tarzan outfit. But he just like went and like poured it over with the prostitutes to being like a fucking jizz mopper. Just the best. Hilarious. I mean, he's it's so fucking funny in that. Again, he's. I mean, he has so many. <laughs> when Chuck's about to get in a fight, he's like, hey, I'm Chuck. And he like jumps. He fucking jumps and misses. I but see that's Jumps, what I mean. misses, it's such a gets up and goes. That's no, it's fine. Unfortunately, the ground broke my fall. It's all good. <laughs> I love that guy. When when Chuck and Belinda had their kiss, he's like Manek Manek. He's like right in between them. Yeah. And it is this lovely kind of family unit that is formed. It is them, again. Man. It's about there's this... just real love for people who finally are being who they want to be with the people they want to be with, and it's as it plays out, and you know. Chuck is trying to stand up for her, but he gets knocked out. So it still feels okay, right? There's not that big, like, movie moment, right? Where he's, like, knocking out three dudes, fighting his way out. Nah, but that's not what this movie is. They're just guys. But no, they literally do The Graduate, and they just fucking run off into the night laughing. Yeah. They're just... And I I thought that was such a... It's strangely anticlimactic ending, but perfect. Because we already know this is like the great debate, right? We were there for the Sopranos finale debate. Right? Mm-hmm. And there is this, do we want more finality, right? Do we need to see their wedding or they have a kid and, you know, bear, fucking, what is his name? Billy's over there making a fucking crib, an idea crib or whatever. Right. Do we need to see that? Or have we seen all we need to know that they'll be okay together? Right. And them running off for adventures that we're not invited to? But that we get an author on our own imagination, right? This is the thing. If Tony gets shot in the end of Sopranos, right, does that make that show better to anyone? The finale of watching Tony Soprano bleed out, that's what everyone wanted, it seemed like. Would that have helped, or did we get to keep imagining that wonderful world of Sopranos where a new mafia cameo every like year? Like, I think as we've seen, too, most TV shows, they do not get to stick the landing very often. No. And, and you're never going to make people happy all the way. Right. I think there is something ballsy and magical to just say the story and the characters are leaving you fucking behind, but it's not over. Right. But I think that's what makes that's what makes a really great. I think that's what makes really great movie endings like for us to for you for like Ron Howard as the author of this story, essentially to say, like, this is the end of this story. You don't really need to go any further than this, though. Like. Do you really want to see their first fight or all these other things? But that, you're yearning for it, right? But that's what you do. You yearn for that, yeah. and then you know what yeah. event you know you, you, in your head. I can already hear the smartass who's like, "Every movie ends, and there's more story going on." All right, I get it. Yeah, that's not Are the you point. Yearning to run away with the. Characters? I'm not. Yeah, 
I saw all the story. I saw all the story I wanted to see of this character. I have nothing else to learn from him. Like, again, when you see, oh, I wanted to be at that bar that night. The the Billy in his little fucking Tarzan outfit. Like that was going to be a good night. Probably would have been a great night. Or they would have just gone home and like made grilled cheese and hung out. You know. That's the Chuck. I mean, maybe, but I would have made grilled cheese with him. That's what I was saying. I got to say, I had never even heard of this film. I'm not the biggest Ron Howard fan. Not like I am against Ron Howard. I just feel like he makes movies for my uncle mostly. Yes. Right? Everyone's uncles, right? And you're like, that's not my shit. But, like, not that he's, like, bad or whatever. We just don't cross paths all the time. But he does have, like, when I do, there are some, he has some magic to him, right? He's kind of like a more, you know, ditch digging Spielberg, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that sounds mean. That's a good way. You know what I mean? He just has that like movie magic about his film. I think because he spent so much time. It's interesting because like we watched, like I listened to this podcast, this Dak Shepard interview he did. And I think because he spent so much time from childhood on set, I think it's just a matter of like, you just learn what works for you. And I think that, him as a director, particularly this being like his second movie. I think the first one was Grand Theft Auto. Like it was, it was a Roger Corman movie. Like, wasn't it like Death Race two thousand? It was some, it was some car movie that was, it was a Roger Corman yeah. thing. And like, this was his first like big studio movie. So I think for him to kind of sit there and be like, I like he's young enough, and he knows what he wants. Uh, it's a really impressive thing to watch. Someone who's like, and by the way, like someone who now has made like multiple Oscar winning movies, like yeah. made Apollo 13, Cinderella fucking Man, giant like, movies, like yeah. huge fucking movies. And this like little 80s kind of like rom-com sex comedy, like mashup is just like, it's incredible. Like the, the what's assembled here is it's. What's I'd have to here look at his, his list. It might be right up there as my favorite Ron Howard movie now. Like, it would it is, be close for me. It is definitely mine. I can tell you that. Oh, it's that's just, awesome. it's, it's a great, it's a great movie. I would look, we don't talk about a lot of comedies on here. I mainly wanted to do this because I, I think I thought I figured you'd love this movie, but I, I hope that ev- I want everyone to watch this movie. Everyone should watch this movie because it's just, it has like, it's funny, yes, but it has like a ton of heart, and I think that that's that's what makes movies of this ilk better than movies that are that, better than the movie you think it's going to be. Well, also, it's fun too to see a couple of artists that are on the verge of all massively of these impactful careers. Yep, kind of taking those steps together. It's it's just really fun. It's just got this dynamic energy and yeah it's just it's it's a very endearing movie like it's just an empathy siphon for your soul uh i loved it thank you alex for my christmas gift what a wonderful gift it was that's it for night shift guys we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did again guys make sure to go support our patreon if you like what we're doing over here for as little as a dollar a month we appreciate all the support that you guys give us again that's patreon.com slash film alchemist podcast uh you can find us there make sure you go to the youtube film alchemist the email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com leave us a five-star rating and review share us on all your socials we're there too so hit us up 
Uh, we will be seeing you guys soon. Next up, I believe, is a Christmas delight. We also have many more stocking stuffers to come, so stay with us. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tantino.